the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from See You at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website, and your host for the See You at the Game podcast. In our last podcast, we took a look at each unit on the offensive side of the ball. With this episode, we'll take a look at the Buff defense. Can Chris Wilson, the newly appointed defensive coordinator, make inroads with the team, which was ranked 76th in total defense and 77th in scoring defense last season? Joining me will be Brad Geiger, and we'll break down each unit of the defense before taking another look at options for CU in the brave new world of realignment in the 2020s. A program note, this is the last off-season episode for the podcast. With our next episode, we'll begin our weekly in-season podcasts with previews and reviews of every CU game. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast at sites like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts so you receive notification of every weekly update. The 2021 season is almost upon us. Will the Buff defensive line move from liability to strength? Will Nate Landman be 100%? And will the Buffs need him to be? Is CU really three deep at both cornerback positions? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back. And with me is Brad Geiger coming to us semi-live from Highlands Ranch, Colorado. How are you today, Brad? I am well because I got to sneak out of work early today and play nine holes. So that always makes for a slightly better day than it could have been. Yes, the Buffs for Life competition is shaking in their boots as we speak. So... Brad is, is on it, people. I will uh, we'll bring what I bring to the foursome, and we will go from there. Very well. Okay, so in the last podcast, we talked about the offensive roster, the lineup, and a little bit about the potentials for realignment, and we're going to do the defense and talk a little more realignment with this podcast. So let me start off with some stats so we know what, what our parameters here are going to be, these are stats for the CU defense from 2020, and these are NCAA stats. As all good Buff fans know, if you go to cubuffs.com and type in or click on final stats, you're going to get the stats for five games because the University of Colorado for decades has not included bowl statistics in their final statistics. They have a separate category for bowl statistics, so the NCAA statistics, which includes the bowl game and 
devastating loss to Texas is included in these stats. So that yeah. makes it a little worse for the Buff faithful. But according to the NCAA, the University of Colorado last year was 71st in the nation in passing yards allowed, 239 yards a game, 84th in the nation in rushing defense, 181 yards per game, which netted out to 76th in total defense at 420 yards per game and a scoring defense, thanks to the 55 points that Texas scored, 77th in the nation, giving up 31 and two-thirds points per game. So mediocre would be, I guess, at best, Mm -hmm. if you look simply at the stats. However, the University of Colorado was 4-2, and and other than the six quarters without Nate Landman, where the Buffs gave up 83 points in six quarters, pretty good defensive year. So we're going to talk first about the defensive line. Brad, true or false? The defensive line is the most concerning unit on the University of Colorado roster. True-ish. <laughs> um, because it feels like there's talent there, but we sure, with the exception of Terrence Lang, we haven't seen it. You know, it feels like there's people who could play there. It could be the most surprising group. It wouldn't take a vast amount for them to overachieve based on expectations within CU Buff fans. But in terms of where we sit right now, not being able to see practice, not having seen a game, yeah, we've got to be worried about the fact that we can't get pressure on the quarterback up front um, and can get gashed for large runs. Yeah. Well, and there is a dearth of, as you say, proven experience, proven talent, the roster obviously lost Mustafa Johnson. And the only senior that was coming back was Jeremiah Doss, who was injured now, lost for the season. So there's no seniors. Three junior returning uh, scholarship players, Terrence Lang, you mentioned, Janez Jordan, who technically is also a returning starter, and Justin Jackson. Uh, Jalen Sammy is a junior. We know that name. Naeem Rodman is going to get a lot more playing time. He's also a sophomore. Then you've got, well, you got Blaine Toll is coming in as a redshirt freshman as a transfer. Other promising, there's Austin Williams, a sophomore. Ryan Williams as a true freshman. Uh, Lloyd Murray, again, players that you would hear about or that the coaches have talked about, but you know, just for example, Naeem Rodman, who got a nice article in the paper here this past week. Last year, 48 plays, two tackles. That is not someone you'd put on a preseason all-pack 12 team. Um, now, it doesn't mean, like you say, that doesn't mean he can't produce this mm-hmm. year. It just doesn't, it just means we haven't seen it. And I mean, like Janez Jordan, he did well against Texas, but in the first five games of the season, he had all five tackles. So can Colorado put together, I mean, Chris Wilson was the defensive line coach. Now he's a defensive coordinator and he talks about in his interviews, you know, the games are won on the fronts in the trenches. And so he understands the significance of strong defensive line play 
I know you've talked in the past about how CU's defensive setup is really the defensive line is just hold up the guys so that the linebackers can make the play. So can we be optimistic in the fact that we have more experience in the second year in the system, even though the stats don't bear out the defensive line is the most talented in the Pac-12, that at least mm-hmm. that with the experience they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the Pac-12 this year? I Force to be reckoned with would be an extraordinary overplaying. If they can keep the big guys from getting to the second level. And, and I mean, that is how this defense is designed. We're not expecting defensive linemen to get up the field. Their job is to require and then withstand double teams so that the interior linebackers and the outside linebackers can make the plays. If you have a Nate Landman on the field, that's a reasonable way to design a defense when you're the first-year guys. That said, there were times they were unable to do that. They were, And there were way too many times, particularly later in the season, where they were unable to hold the line. They have to be stronger. They have to make more tackles in the running game. And they have to create rushing lanes for the linebackers. Again, there are people on the team who think they can do that. But that is more hope than proof at this point. Yes, to be determined. And very much. Certainly with you know the running backs you've got coming up, even in non-conference play, Texas AM's got a great running game. Uh Minnesota's got a super running back. And so they're going to be tested early and often if the University of Colorado is going to get through the non-conference schedule with a winning record. The defensive line is going to have to be play better than they did in the second half against Utah and, well, pretty much the entire game against Texas. And yeah. Carl Durrell was very upset. We all remember his press conference after the Texas game that we were not competitive, and part of that was the fact that the defensive line – and there were, you know, there were opt-outs or players that weren't playing in that game and things like that, but – Texas also had players that weren't playing in that game. So, yeah, we were embarrassed. And the fact that Carl Durrell was embarrassed and wasn't afraid to say it bodes well, I would say, for, you know, the future with Chris Wilson as defensive coordinator and as defensive line coach because it's it's his baby and he's going to have to make sure that his players are ready to go. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about – part of the lineup that's more fun, more optimistic, more exciting. Well, do you want to talk about inside linebackers or outside linebackers, or you just want to talk about linebackers, but either way, I think we've got some positive stories to talk about. I think we can talk about them as a group because, you know, uh, there are differences in what they do. And again, this, this defense is set up for the outside linebackers to make the sacks and for the inside linebackers to control the run. And but there's just what appears to be both experience and talent. Of course, a lot depends on Nate Landman, but there appear to be in the transfers, in the people coming back, that there's room to really Lamb and Von Deist. There's room to continually have people around the ball and people who appear to want to be around the ball. And so, you know, if the defensive line is our biggest concern, you've got to believe that our linebackers are our biggest strength. 
Yeah. And for his part, Landman, at least in the interviews he's been giving, certainly says he's a full go. He, you know, uh, the quote I saw, you know, we talked about being full speed and everything and full go. I've been training. I've been running with the team, cutting, doing everything that the team is doing. All the nerves and that kind of stuff is just not really an impact on me just because I trust the surgery. I trust the rehab and everything went so well. And he didn't want to be limited. He's like, hey, I'm here to play. You know, if I'm going to come back for my super senior year, I don't want to have an 80% play, you know, any sort of cap. If I'm going to be on the field, I'm going to be on the field until I can't be on the field anymore. And you certainly hope that he's going to be a full go in that. Certainly, if we look back six, eight months when we were hoping that maybe by mid-training camp, he might be on the field you know, taking hits and he was there for day one with, as far as we know, no real restrictions on him. So fingers crossed that Nate Landman's going to be Nate Landman, but well, certainly I, I think you don't want to read too much into transfers. I guess there's no, we're going to move on from the most popular player on the team being the backup quarterback, to the most popular player on the team being <laughs> whichever transfer we got. Right, they are going to be wonderful, but I, you know, I'm hearing what Robert Barnes has to say. You know, he's certainly. It sounds like he's saying all the right things, and all the right things are being said about him as far as being vocal and being a leader mm -hmm. and being, you know, an impressive talent. So, again, it's coach speak. Again, like you say, we don't get to see the practices, so we only hear what is being told to us by the players and the coaches, but. Certainly sounds like Robert Barnes, the transfer coming in from Oklahoma, has made a big impression. And not so much about, you know, Jack Lamb, but hopefully he will also be there. And Van Deest, Quinn Perry, there was, you know, an interview or some question that was asked Carl Durrell and asked you about this. He was talking about, well, we haven't even mentioned Carson Wells, who right. is probably, if, if Nate Lamb wasn't on the field, would be the star of the defense. and. Is likely to and, be. and may well be the second or third best player on this team. Yes, and was second team, you know, all Pac-12, and you know, it's that type of thing. I mean, he's certainly a talented. But uh, Carl Durrell was asked about the other three players that were vying for time, other than Carson Wells, and that would be Guy Thomas, Jamar Montgomery, and Jessica Gustav. And he kind of hesitate a little bit you know he said that they're all doing great things they all bring different th good things to the table and it's up to them to separate themselves now you can look at that one of two ways you can say that's great we have three good players so if somebody gets hurt we've got someone else that can step up mm -hmm. or do we read it as no one has stepped up and proven themselves to be the guy that will be out there with Carson Wells making plays well, I think it's more likely the second, it, but this is not a, you know, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. One would hope, yes, you would love for a guy to step up and be a three down linebacker and, and prove himself that he's going to do this. If that is not happening, and I suspect that's, you know, what Darrell is saying, then what you hope is that, you know, one of them has proven that on third and one, they will step up and stop the run. And the other has proven that on third and eight, they got a move or two to get to the quarterback. Situational substitution at linebacker is not something that it was uh, invented in 2020. 
Yeah. And people, folks have been doing this for a lot of years. And the bottom line is three down linebackers are about as common as your typical fire breathing dragon. <laughs> so, and you're going to need a bunch of bodies. And um, I don't know if it was Chris Wilson, might have been Chris Wilson that was being interviewed, you know, talking about is a three, four, or four, three. And basically his response was, you know, our starting lineup's going to be dependent on what the opposing team runs on their first play. Yeah. You know, so if they come out with the two back set, we're going to have starting lineup of X. And if they come out with four wides, we're going to have a starting lineup of Y. And it has really nothing to do with ultimately how many plays are going to be on the field or their quality of their play. It's just going to be, okay, how is this team lining up and what players do we need to match up with that offense? Well, and in reality, would you really expect the same defense to work against Utah, who we know is going to sit down and plug? Here we go. We're going to run this guy over left guard, stop him. And Minnesota is going to try to do the same thing. You you wouldn't run the same defense against them as you would against SC. Yeah. You know, and the idea, and, and we've known that for years, and yet we still insist on classifying defenses as a 3-4 or a 4-3 or a 5-2 or a 7-1 or whatever you want to call it today. <laughs> um, situational defense is and has been the rule for a lot of years. And if you're CU and you don't get to say, well, I would rather have the five-star nose tackle over the five-star defensive end to fit your steam, you get the guys you can get and then create the defense that emphasizes their talent. Yeah. And that's going to vary week to week. It has to. Yeah. Well, one thing I'm encouraged by, and you heard a little bit, you know, when Robert Barnes was interviewed and you hear a little bit from the coaches, the, well, you can't, we won't say it's an indictment of the previous <laughs> defensive coordinator, but the idea that they were, there's too much reliance on Nate Landman and yeah. that certainly Nate Landman is a talent and a pro NFL talent and probably will have his day in the league. But it seemed like, Tyson Summers depended too much on Nate Landman and that they want to have Nate Landman be Nate Landman, but not have him have to be Nate Landman. That if he is one of the great players on the team, that's great. But if you can have Carson Wells and Robert Barnes and Jack Lamb taking turns starring in games, then that's bodes well for the University of Colorado as a whole. Maybe Nate Landman doesn't have 120 tackles and he doesn't have the same stats that he was heading towards last year, but maybe that's a, a good thing. It's just like Jared Broussard not having as many carries. He's not going to set a school record for carries. Well, that may not be a bad idea if, in fact, you know, you have other talented running backs that can carry the load and make the team better by being able to participate. So I, I I have to think that we don't, I mean, we certainly want Nate Landman to be Nate Landman, but we don't maybe need Nate Landman to be Nate Landman. Would that be a fair statement? We don't need him to be Nate Landman starting with the first play and ending with the last play. We, we would like him to be Nate Landman very much when we need him. We want him to be the guy that they have to game plan around. And so that when they do game plan around them, that other people can step up and do it. There is no one unblockable, undefensible player. 
Okay. The hope is that if they have to double team Nate Landman, then Terrence Lang can get in there. The hope is that if they have to focus on the interior, that Carson Wells will step around a tight end and hopefully force a fumble or that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. I mean, Nate Landman last year at the start of the season was a five-star player and a bunch of three on a three-star roster. If you're a defensive, if you're a defensive coordinator, yeah, you can fall in love with that. Doesn't work out. Yeah. And it's certainly, again, the stats bore it out when Nate Landman went down that the, the defensive staff or the defensive unit or however you want, you know, to where you want to lay it uh, in terms of the blame, but the last six quarters of the 2020 season were not pretty for the University of Colorado defense. Well, we know for sure where Carl Durrell laid it. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we have speculation as to where he decided that was the best place to lay the blame. Yes. Um, well, let's move on to the, the defensive backfield. And I think we can separate this a little bit. And again, when you're talking about star backers slash safety slash nickelbacks, I mean, again, don't want to get too pigeonholed in terms of which player fits under which label, but let's start and just talk about the cornerbacks because it looks like we're pretty well set with the two starters from last year, Mikai Blackman and the potential star Christian Gonzalez at starter. I was surprised by the quote from Carl Durrell um, because I look at it as one of those units that, we hope nobody get these two guys don't get hurt because the depth chart, you know, Nigel Bethel, Jalen Stryker, those are sophomores. And then you go down to freshmen, true freshmen, Tyron Taylor, Nico Reed, Kalen Moore, basically the quarterbacks on the roster as defined by quarterbacks. But then Carl Durrell in one of his post-practice press conferences said, we have probably more depth now than we had a year ago where we were just concerned about who we were going to play at corner. I think we now have at least a solid three deep on both sides. Now, if you look at the CU buffs, you know, definition of a quarterback, we only have seven and (laughs) Carl Durrell thinks we got six that can play. Right. um, Which is wonderful in theory, but are you, on the happiness side with Carl Durrell, or are you on the Stewart side with a little bit of concern that after the, the top two, there's going to be a significant drop-off? I am concerned, but again, I'm not seeing the, I'm not seeing the place. Right. What we know is this in fall camp, our cornerbacks are likely being tested. You know, they, they are playing against what, we all generally think is one of the strongest groups is the it, one of the deepest groups is our wide receivers. We know probably that either one of our quarterbacks is better at passing the ball than our starting quarterback last year, to be honest. And if Carl Durrell says, I'm watching these guys play against the strength of our offense and they're making it work. I guess I am in a little bit more wait and see than I probably was before he started talking like that. Yeah. Well, you know, the fact that almost half of the cornerbacks are true freshmen. Yeah. Uh, one of them, Tyron Taylor, who has been mentioned more than once by the coaches as having exceptional camps, mm-hmm. was in the, uh, in the fold for spring. He did 
enroll early. He was around yeah. for spring practices. So you'd certainly assume he has a leg up on the other two true freshmen. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited about the future with Christian Gonzalez, the idea that we actually can have him play for four more years. Again, that harkens back. Most of us are thinking back to this, the second half or the Texas game as a whole, mm-hmm. that he really kind of made his presence known. And Mackay Blackman, I think, is underrated. I think he is a much better corner than perhaps he's given credit for. And sometimes that happens when you've got, again, you wouldn't want to say Christian Gonzalez as a freshman is a shutdown corner at this point, but he is one of the better corners that we've had for a while. And going back to when we were getting all drafted. And so if you've got one corner that is knocking down all the balls, then you're going to throw to the other corner. So Blackman's seeing a lot more action, but I, I don't know. I, I think that Blackman is a quality defensive back. And then, again, as long as those two are on the field and stay healthy, and then, yes, you're subbing in the other ones. But if we don't have to go three deep, I'm pretty comfortable with the cornerbacks. I just need to get the – I just want to keep the starting two playing yeah. 12 games. No, I mean, you, you, if, if every time you look down at the first defensive snap and you saw Blackman and Gonzalez, we'll be – much happier. Yeah. Um, but you know, they're cornerbacks. They're, 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 they're like the damn gazelles of the NFL or of the, of college football. You know, you always worried about is the hamstring going to go is that kind of, and they have to be physical, but if, yeah, if they can stay there, then we're good. And then some third player has to step up because we're not going to see a lot of, of two wide receiver sets. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Utah. I, I don't, maybe Minnesota, but yeah. I suspect there's other teams going to come out and line up four wide and say, stop us. Yeah. Which leads us into the safeties. Yeah. Which if you look at how Colorado judges returning starters, we actually have three, mm-hmm. which is interesting for two starting two safety position. We have three returning starters. You've got Isaiah Lewis, Chris Miller, and Mark Perry. And now, Joining as a junior, along with Lewis and Miller, is Chris Appleton, who got his scholarship at the spring game, uh, former walk-on. And you've got some depth there. You've got the J.C. Trustin Oliver, who apparently has impressed some people. But again, he's coming in, again, pretty much as a freshman. I think it's the question of keeping, again, we're talking about keeping Blackman and Gonzalez healthy. At least they've shown that they can play most of a season, whereas Chris Miller especially has had a hard time staying on the field. I think everyone would agree or concede that he's a talented player, but you can't be a talented player if you're wearing sweats on the sideline. No, at his his best, when healthy. Uh, Chris Miller is as talented as anybody on this defense, and that includes Nate Landman because he's more flexible. He can do more. He can hit. He can cover. He seems to understand where the ball is. But again, all of those talents are irrelevant if you're sitting on a, if you're riding a bike on the sidelines. And, you know, we don't know if it's fragile or just bad luck. That always happens. I, yeah, if I looked down and saw Chris Miller trotting out for the first defensive play of every game, I would be extraordinarily happy. I think. There is more depth there than we hoped. I think I think 
some of these guys are going to be able to play. I don't know what Appleton did to earn a scholarship. I got you have to rely on Durrell to believe in that. But you know, there are guys who can rotate in. It would be nice to see fewer people running unmolested through the secondary this year. <laughs> um, um, and and you know, we're going to have to play USC. We're yeah. going to have to play ASU. Yeah, we're going to play Oregon. teams. Yeah, we got to play Oregon. There are teams that are going to open up against us. And while I think there's talent in this secondary, there are going to be days as buff fans where this group, where if the defensive line can't get pressure, that yeah. this group's going to get tested and have to cover guys for five seconds. And I don't know that we have enough of those. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, if we're looking at the defense overall, and of course, you know, there's other safeties, Ray Robinson, Trevor Woods, Torin Pittman, you know, there's other names out there. Players are going to have the chance to show themselves this year. But I think probably we're in agreement in terms of the defense. It's like, okay, well, the line, well, you know, there's Terrence Lang and linebackers. Wow, you got Landman and you got Carson Wells and you've got the, the transfers, Barnes and Lamb, and then the corners, you got Blackman, you got Gonzalez. It's like, well, Perry and okay, maybe Miller and is going to be, it's like there's pieces yeah. to a quality Pac-12 defense, but there are also holes. And if there are injuries, then even though probably this is as deep a team as she was had simply because of the COVID year and, being able to have more players and more players return and things like that, that, you know, it's a deeper team in terms of just players that have had the opportunity to play. The second strings have been on the field until this unit can prove itself. Um, and that's first step is going to be, yeah, we got to get past Northern Colorado. We'll talk about that in the preview, but really it's going to be, can we keep Texas A&M at least, throttle to the point where we can stay competitive. And then Minnesota comes in with a great rushing game, go on the road to play SU and then come back to play USC. So that's a brutal yeah. way to start a season. Yeah. So I mean, defense we, is going to be tested. So they're healthy now. I mean, we already lost Jeremiah Doss. Fortunately, that's the only serious injury we've heard about or been told about in terms of training camp that uh, the unit's going to have its opportunity to, prove its muster we could easily after six weeks have a defense that is given up 35 points a game yeah and, and we could win some of those games we hope that you know this is old-fashioned football run the ball to shorten the clock yeah. um you know the, the, how efficient the offense is is going to ha the offense is going to especially at the beginning of the season i think protect the defense yeah well, Darren well. saying he wants 35 points a game from the offense. So we'll we'll see if that uh, plays out. He got it the first two games of last year, but after that, it uh, slipped considerably in terms of offense production, at least in terms of the scoreboard. Well, let's move on while we've got a few minutes. Um, last time we talked a little bit about realignment and Oklahoma, Texas officially saying – Farewell to the Big 12. We don't know when that's going to be. The Big 12 will hold them to the fire as long as humanly possible. Since then, it's a little like uh, the submarine movie. They talk about going quiet. 
you know, everybody's speculating in the print and over air media, but you're not hearing a whole lot about expansion or contraction or swapping or realignment from anybody that actually has authority to speak on the subject. So what have you thought of, speculated on, read, or considered since the last time we talked about realignment in the future of the University of Colorado and the Pac-12? Well, I have read everything because if you've if you're a sports writer that's walked within a quarter mile of a football stadium in the last decade, you've written a column about realignment because why not? Because nobody knows anything. You can say whatever you want and, and God get on a fan site and, you know, BYU, BYU fans are sure that they're going to be the next edition of the big 10 or to the sec, or they're going to create the new big 12. Or, you know, it, it, yeah, everybody who's not Texas, Oklahoma, and the SEC has a hopes, dreams, and wishes list. What do we know is a very different thing. We know, we know the commissioners of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 men. We know that the Big 12 is, is scrambling. <laughs> there is no bigger bluff in America than the Big 12 acting like they're not going to do anything. We're fine. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, this I th- this is the night's scene in Monty Python on the Holy Grail. It's a flesh wound. <laughs> you know? I'm not. Yeah, yeah, come back here and fight. No, I mean you're you you don't have any arms. <laughs> I mean, you know, there. But boy, the the Big Twelve just acting like they got all this covered. You know. Um, well, yes, the the little eight or the irate eight. Well, we talked a little bit last time, last podcast, that we collectively, and Neil Langland was along uh, with his expertise talking about we don't think that it's a good fit for the Pac-12 to become a Pac-16, either with Mountain West teams or with half of what's left of the Little Eight. Um, There's just not enough value added. What is your biggest fear that, you know, the stories about, USC, Oregon, Washington, UCLA, maybe defecting and going to the the Big Ten and leaving Colorado at Al to make some sort of a super conference that nobody cares about while the the other big boys go off and earn their big bucks. Uh, Any any fear of that in your mind? Of course, there's a fear of that. It's the worst case scenario, and it's not... Likely, but not impossible. Um, I one of again reading, having read everything. There was a uh, a sixty four team snake draft that a bunch of writers did uh, for the, the you know creating the four sixteen team conferences. And guess who was number sixty four? <laughs> Dear old CU. <CEO>. Wow. <laughs> last last team in. Last team in. Last, um, last last team in. None of us believe that USC will stay with the Pac-12 if they are offered 57 cents more to join the Big Ten, except for the fact that they don't want to be beholden to Michigan and Ohio State. Right. Um, watching SC judge between money and power, <laughs> I mean, that's a difficult prediction. Yeah. I think in the end, I you know, my suspicion is that Oregon and USC would rather be 
bigger fish in whatever pond they end up in outweighs potential financial benefit of joining full, full on the Big Ten. Yeah. Um, and remember, this all doesn't have to end right here. Uh, you know, the Big Ten and Pac-12 talking about, you know, scheduling alliances and, you know, being a conference without being a conference or being a football only kind of thing seems a more reasonable response to challenge the SEC. Yeah. So I, I think that's the right for, for right now. Anyway, that'd be the dream scenario for Colorado. Yeah. It's some sort of like the, the basketball challenges that they do now where, you know, you match up teams and maybe, you know, they say, well, we can't, schedule that far in advance it's like for the fact that you know BYU played coastal Carolina in three days notice last year so the idea that we couldn't have Colorado as the number six seed play Minnesota slash Iowa as the number six seed from the Big Ten in a given year it seems like that could happen if they wanted it to happen and uh, you call it a non-conference game but it's going to generate a lot more interest. Would you like to have Ohio State come to visit, you know, Boulder? Would Ohio State fans like to come to visit Boulder or the Big Ten fans in general that live in Denver get to watch their team? They may not be CU fans, but there are Minnesota fans, there are Michigan fans that would go to Boulder games. I mean, when Michigan came to Boulder, those were sellout games. So that would seem to be the the best scenario for the University of Colorado. I think what's kind of helping me sleep at night in terms of USC, Oregon, and Washington defecting, and again, won't say that that won't happen because we could wake up tomorrow and say USC and Notre Dame have agreed to join the, the Big Ten, and they have now 16 teams, and we don't care about the rest of the planet. But there's two things. One would be USC's ties that they're not tied at the hip to UCLA like they used to be, um, partially because UCLA has fallen off the national scope a little bit in the last couple of decades. But they are kind of tied to UCLA. UCLA is definitely tied to Cal, and it would be hard for USC to skip town without some of their California partners. And... If that's the case, even if they did decide to do it, and even if it was just going to be football only, because, you know, they're going to have to, okay, we're going to travel just to Maryland and Rutgers, but we're not going to do that to the women's tennis team. We're going to stay and do that locally. It's like, well, wait a second. If you're the remnants, you know, the bits and pieces of the left behinds, are you going to want USC to be able to play tennis in the Pac-12 or lacrosse in the Pac-12, or is the Pac-12 going to say, you got to be freaking kidding me. Go play San Diego. Go play Fresno State. We don't want anything to do with you. And all of your Olympic sports all of a sudden don't have the cachet that it did before because nobody wants to play with you. And USC is bound by geography to try and figure out how to have all the other sports work. So that's one thing I think works in our favor Another, at least for Oregon and Washington, they recruit heavily in California. That that's their bread and butter. You know, just like Colorado can't build a team out of Colorado high school graduates, Oregon and Washington can't build rosters out of Northwest states 
you know, they have to go to California. And if they're not getting to play in San Francisco area every year, if they're not getting to play in LA area every year, they might lose some of that recruiting cachet. And oh, by the way, now Ohio State, Michigan, Minnesota, Iowa, they're recruiting in Southern California. Not that they aren't anyway, but they have more of a pitch now because, hey, guess what? You get to play at home, you know, at least once every two years when you go to play USC. Do you really want to invite all of your Midwest potential competitors to come and compete with you in terms of recruits? So I think just the geography is going to help keep the Pac-12, like you were mentioning, that they could be the big fish in the little pond. The geography is huge, but the pond is not very big in terms of national preeminence right now. And there's not a whole lot of value for USC until or unless you get to the Super 32 or whatever the case might be down the road when all of the the Colorados, Oregon States, Washington States, Utahs, Arizonas, Oklahoma States, Kansas States, all of us fall to the side. And it just becomes the mini NFL or the prep league for the NFL. And the rest of us are like the FCS. We go off and have our little championships and pat each other on the back, getting our $15 million in TV money. And the guys that are making $70 million in TV money are going to have their own league. And until or unless we get to that point, I think CU is still in pretty good condition in terms of you know hanging on as a power five contender i agree with you on all of that i mean let's not pretend that over the last five years oregon and sc have proven themselves to be elite football programs yeah okay sc is being considered for all of this not because ohio state thinks that sc's the best team in the country and we want to play them they're being considered for this because it's the L.A. market. An argument can easily be made for both Oregon and SC who have national aspirations and Washington who still thinks they play in that league as well. That how are you going to be if, if it if a, even if you expand the playoffs, there's not going to be a lot of two lost teams in the playoffs. Right. If you're USC or Oregon or Washington, where is your opportunity to be a to either clear the table or be a one-loss team better in the Pac-12 or as a member of the big whatever, 10, 12, 15, 17, <laughs> whatever that's going to be. Well, that's not even a hard question to answer. Yeah. If we expand the playoffs, which they're going to do, SC and Oregon's best chance to be in the playoffs is beating Utah, not beating Ohio State. Yeah. Well, you should go on to the Texas Longhorn sites and you might, <laughs> you know, pose that question as to, you know, you can't win in a 10 team league with seven teams that aren't very good. And now you're going to play in the SEC West. Now, granted, the SEC might have two or three lost teams that might actually qualify for the playoffs. Yeah. But, uh, Texas might not be a two or three loss team. If they're losing four games a year playing in the big 12, it's going to be really interesting to see what their record will be when they get to the SEC. But that's at least one year, obviously not going to happen in 2021. 
if there's enough money thrown at the irate eight, it might happen in 2022. It's going to be fun to watch these teams go on the road. You think they don't like Texas now at Iowa State, Kansas State? <laughs> yeah, this, they're going to have a fun road trip. I mean, mm-hmm. wear your helmet the entire game because there might be batteries coming down from the stands. So I don't know how fired up the teams are going to be to play them, but the fans are certainly going to be fired up um, if they think they're going to be left behind because of what Texas and Oklahoma did to the to blow up the, the Big 12. Yeah, I, you know, you and I have been to a game in the SEC and we've been to games in less intense places. The ego of Texas to think that now, you know, having been unable to dominate the Big 12, that they're going to stroll in and now compete head to head with Bama, Auburn, Georgia is one of the more amusing parts of this entire new round of new conferences um you know oklahoma has at least some recent record of being able to play with the big boys yeah texas is a big boy only in austin (laughs) well you can say don't mess with texas but it seems like everybody's been messing with Mm -hmm. texas you know Were they two and seven against TCU? Is that the state legislator? Yeah. Or three and seven and something <laughs> got awful. You don't want to play TCU, so you want to go play Alabama. That makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So we won't be able to figure this out. We're not going to try, but we've at least uh, added some food for thought. So I'm going to let that be the uh, the final word. Our next edition, our next episode, wait for it, is going to be our first preview. Dun, da, da, da. So na, na, na. And, it is you know, actual time for football. So we're going to talk a little bit about the, the PAC 12 and our predictions for the season. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the, the UNC bears. And then once we get to the season, it's going to be instead of every two weeks, we're going to be up there every week. If you're up for it mm-hmm. and we'll do our preview review every week and get the, See you at the game going here. So uh, it's almost time for football. I'm looking forward to to seeing you in beautiful Colorado. It's going to be wonderful. Thank you for listening. As noted, we will be starting our in-season podcast with the next episode. The Carl Durrell era officially began in 2020, but the 2021 season will be the first real test as to how the new coaching staff is developing its roster for the long haul. I hope you've enjoyed the off-season podcasts and are looking forward to the new season as much as I am. If you want to stop by sometime during a home game, I'm in row 72 of section 218, in seats Brad and I have occupied for over a quarter of a century. If you want to invite us to a tailgate, no, not, not proud here, I'd love to stop by. Just drop me a note at see you at the game at gmail.com. Until our next opportunity to see you at the game, stay well, be safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to seeyouatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. 
If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to seeyouatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.